Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Three CR eight five five AM digital three CR dot org dot au. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Thanks to the crew from Out of the Blue diving deep for the marine news as they do every Sunday from eleven thirty till noon. And three CR proudly broadcasting from the lands of the original inhabitants and paying respects to elders past and present. Welcome to listeners of all genders, including but not limited to ladies and gentlemen. Let's try to get the show started and lock it in with Bob Seeger and lock and load. If you want to get in touch with the show, um, you can call in on, you can text in, sorry, on 0407, uh, sorry, on 0401 078 981 or 61401. 078981 if you're outside of Melbourne um, or outside Australia, I beg your pardon. Out of the pan 855 at gmail.com uh, if you want to email. Um, Twitter at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And um, also, um, you can look for me um, shortly for me and Out of the Pan on Facebook. Let- 3CR, 855am, digital3cr.org.au, Out of the Pan with Sally. 3CR, 855am, digital3cr.org.au. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. And thanks for putting up with a few technical glitches. They happen. This is live radio, repeat live radio, repeat live radio and all that sort of stuff. Um, on the show today, um, it is going to get underway. Um, a few months ago, um, around two, two to three months ago, it was the Sunday, the second of May. If you're feeling um, date precise, um, I was on the had the privilege of being on a panel at the um, Daring Festival. Um, sorry, that was the other one, which was great by the Uniting Church. I had the privilege of being on a panel at the Sacred Edge Uniting Church Festival down in Queenscliff with a fabulous crew of people, Um, Star Lady, Tony Briffer talking intersex, Daniel Whithouse, fabulous educator and champion of rural LGBTI and families extraordinaire, and Suzanne Prosser um, as well from Geelong, who's done so much great work, Um, Padraya Gotwama, and um, a whole crew and so I've got that panel for you today, CD willing. Let's see if it will play. We'll just do bits of it at a time. And away we go. Let's see if um, things are going to work. And if, uh, if a little time presents, there might be an opportunity for a question or two from you. So if there's something burning on your heart, hold it. And we'll see, uh, see how we go. So, Tony, I want to begin with you. 
Because I have this feeling, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but even though we've learnt to say LGBTIQ, often intersex people don't really get a chance to share the unique story of what it is to be an intersex person in Australia today. And I wondered, what is it that you would most like us to know about your experience and your story? Thanks for the question. And I'd like to start by actually thanking everybody who attended yesterday and asked wonderful questions. Uh, I think we had a really good discussion and I think that people did get a good understanding of what intersex is is about. Um, I guess if I was going to have any main points about intersex in our experience is that um, intersex is about a biological variation. It's about the way that we're born differently, that we part biologically at least, partially male and partially female, as opposed to it being about sexual orientation or gender identity. For some of us, in fact, you know, a, a higher proportion than the usual community, um, we are gay and lesbian, but intersex isn't about being gay or lesbian. Some of us, um, because doctors make a decision at birth, because we're biologically part male and part female, doctors make a decision for us about whether we, what sex we're going to be raised, some of us <coughs> reject that decision. They say, well, actually, the wrong decision was made at birth, and we reject it. And if we reject it, even in that situation, it doesn't necessarily make us transgender or transsexual or whatever. <coughs> um, it's just realigning or fixing a, a mistake that was made at birth. Some, and don't get me wrong, some intersex people certainly can identify a lot with the trans community because there are those similar experiences, but in celebrating and understanding those, those similarities, it's also important and respectful that we recognise those distinct differences as well. Um, and oh look, I think that's probably the main part. A lot of the issues that we face are around um, being different and not being exclusively male or female, things like uh, infertility affects uh, the vast majority of, of intersex people, and that, that, is a, that is an issue. Um, you know, access to treatments and all that sort of thing, but even legally, things like marriage equality, and there was that question when I asked the Salvation Army, person, <laughs> as you might recall yesterday, you know, that, you know, we go to church services or, or weddings, and everything is predicated around being a male or being a female, being a man or a woman. And it's not that black and white. There's, I'm not going to say grey, there's lots of rainbow colours in between there, uh, lots of different shades of the spectrum. And, you know, that's the thing. I think people just need to understand that, that sex, like gender, is, is also a spectrum. And it's not that black and white. Some people are born partially male and female on the spectrum. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. Um, Sally, I know that you have some strong ideas about the way in which our addiction or commitment to these binary categories affects uh, the way we, we do things and that it's a mindset in the Australian community that needs challenging and that it's probably costing us overall in some fairly significant way. Can you tell me uh, some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, unequivocally, we're we limit people on binaries or limit people in any way, it obviously costs on you know, so many things, which I'll say are the 
the negatives, the costs of health, unemployment, underemployment, and bringing up the difficult topic for the communities on this panel, LGBTI, in terms of outright loss of life, in terms of people taking their own lives. And, you know, sort of the, the, even binary thinking in workplaces, we often hear about why aren't there more women at top positions in the corporate sector? And to me, it goes deeper than just male or female. It's about how we express ourselves in the intangible ways. You know, you can be a woman in the corporate sector so long as you do the firm handshake and you look people in the eye and those masculine things. And when our workplace starts bringing everyone in, what's feminine women? What's, for that matter, feminine, for lack of better words, feminine men? But we also now have a third of the trans and gender diverse population identifying as other than male or female. The corporate sector, that's 2% of the whole population at least. We're going to lose, the corporate sector will lose that. So then I want to go further, do a quick visualisation. Close your eyes if you want. Imagine if we didn't have any discrimination at all. Imagine the genius, the creativity. To give a one example, a trans woman by the name of Lynn Conway in the late 1960s was working with IBM and led to a breakthrough in microcircuitry uh, micro and supercomputers that started the chain of events that led from those, whole, those rooms where computers were as big as a room down to the smartphones we have today. If we had no discrimination and had all the genius, if we had the creativity of Lana and Lily Wyskowski, who make The Matrix and Cloud Atlas films, who are both trans, if we had, not that he was trans, but the genius of David Bowie and Prince, who to some extent were other than standard ideas of male or female, without any discrimination, imagine what the world would be like. We'd knock everything over overnight. And this is, I think, the cost of prejudice and discrimination is the lost productivity and creativity of so many people that then in turn benefits so, so many other people um, socially and economically. There's so many benefits to be gained by having a society that values everyone for their uniqueness. And I feel we lose track of that at times. young people, there is uh, people with all sorts of gifts and potential genius that we're yet to discover. What would they want to say to this group of people so that the young people you work with might grow up to be the best contributors they can possibly be to our society without things or people standing in their way? Um, look... <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, um, uh, also afternoon, you're right, thank you. Um, my, my experience of uh, my work is travelling to regional, rural and remote areas of Australia and talking to people about issues of LGBTI, etc. Uh, and I think there are two things that rural communities talk to me about. And the reason why they say it's about bloody time they want to have this conversation, because often people are surprised that they do want to have this conversation. Um, the two reasons is, um, um, Sally's touched on this, is the loss of life. And saying in our communities, uh, LGBTI young people are way, way overrepresented in youth suicide statistics. 
But the second reason that they talk about is they say we want to have this conversation because we don't want to keep on losing our young people to the big smoke. We don't want to live in a situation where young people feel like if I'm to be who and what I am, that we need to go to the big smoke and not be ourselves. If I talk to young people um, in rural and regional um, Australia, a consistent theme of what they say is, it's really interesting, if you, if you asked, um, I know there's some interviews done kind of around about 99, 2000, and often it was unanimous where young people said, we just want to get to the big smoke, we're not going to live here, we don't want to be in these rural and regional places. What I found when I was, I was talking was this, this consistent theme of, I don't want to move. I don't want to move, I want to stay here. I want to be connected with the people around me, with my friends, with my family. I want to work here. I have all of these things um, here in my community and I don't want to move away. Why the bloody hell should I? Why should I have to do that? Now, that's not to say that they didn't also say. They just said, look, it's tough. I might have to move, but I want that to be my choice. I want that to be something that I decide to do rather than I have to. And the other thing which is I always think about, this would be an interesting thing to get federal government funding for, is that often that, that young people would say, I have everything I want here except I just want a partner. You know, If I had a partner, I would just, I'd collect the set, I'd be, you know, but I think that I might have to move away because that's not possible in my own community. Um, and I think that we can't underestimate that, that you know, those, those factors. There it is, the first of our, um, first of our bits of um, the panel featuring Daniel Woodhouse, Tony Briffer, myself, Suzanne Prosser and others. Let's see if Bob wants to lock and load. I'm a determined little Vegemite. Um, and then we'll have some more of it um, after this track and a couple of messages. 3CR, out of the pan, 855am digital and on demand with Sally. As Prime Minister of Australia, I am sorry. We're coming live to you from the Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra as part of the Sorry Day Convergence. And here comes Gilla. How you going, Gilla? How's it going, Gab? How's it going, uh, all you listeners down Melbourne? You're missing a great time up here and uh, a great day. Now you fail to imagine what if it happened to you. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio station, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. We need your support. Call 9419 8377 and subscribe today. I feel hopeful. I feel grateful. I feel sorry. As an Aboriginal person, let me shake your hand. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you very much. No worries. Three CR eight five five AM digital three CR dot org dot au. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. Um, prior to the messages, we got it. I'm a set of wood. We would Bob Seeger from the album It's a Mystery um, from 1995. He was still rocking on there with some ugh, love the grunts. Um, of course, you could have played air guitar to Jeff Healy doing George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which was the track that ended up opening the show. But let's um, rock on in just a second. Um, with the discussion at the Sacred Edge um, Festival a couple of weeks ago. But in the meantime, we've had a an email come in to out of the pan 855 at gmail.com from James, who's a first-time listener. Uh, in, what is it in my best... Um, 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 
Bart Simpson, first, first time, long time listener, first time caller. Um, seriously, uh, first time listener, any thoughts on Dr. Gillian Triggs appearing on Q&A tomorrow? Um, because the right wing, including the Australian Christian Lobby, have called to change discrimination laws or suspend them or whatever to allow people their freedom of speech. Dare I say, James, with tongue in cheek, perhaps that could have gone, that freedom of speech could have had a sick after it or um, inverted commas for the plebiscite, which of course I'm calling the parasite. Very extreme measures by these right wing groups. Look, I am. I think Dr. Gillian Triggs is a legend in my best butch voice. I think she will handle the situation um, of these so-called suspending anti-discrimination laws, which is really allowing bigotry really well. She's spoken about, about them before and I think called it rather ridiculous was the word used. Um, maybe it was ludicrous, but let's not do hair splitting. Um, so, um, yeah, I think she'll rock it. Um, and I just hope she's fully up with all the stats, the increase in calls to services that happen when um, these horrible debates like safe, um, you know, when I say the horrible debates, the debates that are done horribly um, from the right wing by like safe schools and marriage are mentioned. So that is actually a perfect lead-in because hopefully today we'll be on the show um, as part of this. I'll be um, Padre Gautama, who was on the panel we're playing today, um, was someone who went through the um, referendum in Ireland, so a, a long public debate, and talked about some of the things that happened. Let's have a listen to more of the panel um, held in May this year down at Queenscliff as part of the Sacred Edge Festival. I think, uh, so I'm Suzanne, I run a program in Geelong called GASP, which works with LGBTI young people, and Firstly, I just want to say that it is such an incredible group of young people to work with because of all the things that Sally just said, I think is, is the answer to your, to your question. But I think, it, um, I guess, you know, in, in, a, in a spiritual place, I think it, it goes down to that as well about, I spoke about this at the, at the launch, about enabling those young people to live truly wholehearted lives that... Um, what the debate that goes on in our society does to those young people is that it um, it shuts down their development and it shuts down their opportunity to um, fully live the life that they know that they can live. One of the things that I love about working with LGBT young people is um, the incredible insight that they have into who they are. Um, and I think it goes... For, for all of us on this panel as LGBTI people, there's just an added extra um, insight, not insight that we have into our lives, but work that we have to do in order to understand where we fit into the world. Because it's a, it's a daily kind of, what will people think? Someone's looking at me different. Can I out myself in this situation? Um, all of that stuff. And young people, as they're going through their adolescent development, that's pretty tricky to have that you know, extra layer on top. So uh, not really answering the question, but it is about um, that, um, how we enable our young people and all of us to really explore who we are uh, against the stereotype and to, and to go against that stereotype just to be able to be who we are so that we can actually fully engage in what it is to be a human being. That's what it kind of comes down to, I think. You answered a better question. <laughs> 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 you. Um, you spoke about 
the toll that the kind of public conversation that we've been having has on LGBTQIA young people. And I think a lot of us are concerned about the upcoming conversation that we're told will happen around the marriage equality plebiscite. Patrick, do you have some insight from the Irish situation that might help us do this better? Yeah, um, I, even though the uh, referendum last year in the Republic of Ireland was an enormous uh, and beautifully moving event, eventually, I don't recommend public debate about the rights of the minority. And that is not the level that is appropriate. There is a question of justice, and you don't get people to decide if enough people think it's justice, we'll, we'll call it justice. The level of pain that was encountered in people, young LGBTI religious people that I know, who were hearing week in, week out, and people with pretty hostile views, because it tended to be, you know, in any national broadcaster, you need to have 50-50% representation. My partner's a journalist, and so there was lots of people looking around for fairly hostile views to put it on air, and then extended interviews, because there were so many LGBTI advocates who were saying this, you know, there's loads of people to choose from, but these voices that became self-appointed spokespeople for what they called morality was a real limitation, and the, the genuine pain that people encountered was enormous. And so I think there does need to be a question about what are the ethics, what is the impact, and not intention, because people will always go, well, I have no intention to harm a young person. I don't care about intention. I do care about impact. And there needs to be a public moral conversation about what is the impact of having the lives of people and our capacity to love and our capacity to live in a society that has a civic recognition of our loving relationships. How do we do that in a way that minimizes pain and increases safety? The experience of the Irish um, referendum, positive though the day was, eventually, um, it was pretty awful leading up to it. I know a journalist who was saying, who had lived in a Dublin family, a very inclusive family, which was really um, a wonderful experience. And the journalist, a gay man, he said he had never in his life experienced homophobia. He said, look, I'm very lucky, man in his mid-50s, until he, in the context of his work, had to be having people on the air and giving them plenty of airspace to say, tell us a bit about why it is that you think this is wrong. And inevitably, people would always come back to saying, well, we're just worried about the children. And that came up over and over and over again. The word family became a hostile word because it was implied that we don't come from families and that we're not family. And I was in a debate and saying, I am one of the gay children. I care about the children too. And I care about the gay children who are going to be sending a message of safety. And there are ways in which that debate continually got hijacked to have polite ways of implying that LGBTI people are threats to children and are antithetical in our being to the experience of family. And I found it really dangerous. Slovenia had an equal marriage referendum in the intervening months between now and the Irish one, and it was unsuccessful. And so the level of threat that happens when you do have public debates about the rights of the minority is, um, I don't recommend it. Um. We, we, from your mouth to the ears of those with the ability to make those choices, I think many of us uh, would very much like us to not have that public conversation. But if, if we have to, what can those of us who want to help make that a constructive, safe conversation do? Yeah, I think to define the terms of dialogue, okay. it, I think to, to name really clearly that just because you say seemingly politely, um, 
oh, I'm just concerned about the children, that journalists and people hosting public conversations will say, what do you actually mean? Okay. Name it, because if somebody wants to say something hostile but dress it up and make it sound pretty and concerned about the children, they need to have the courage to actually say what they mean, which is therefore saying something pretty hostile. But that, the, the toll on people listening to that is huge. But I do think that we do need to have a little moment of apocalypse, a word from Greek theatre, to open the curtain behind the polite veneer of just what passes as concern about your type being present, and to say, why? What do you mean? And that there needs to be a really honed, inquisitorial approach towards saying to people, what is your concern? And name it. And that people will know that ultimately they'll have to say, I just don't like it. And have to, because that's ultimately what's operational. It's not even the biblical text that people are speaking about religion. It's pre-biblical. There's some level of distaste that operates and is acceptable. And that does need to go on. Mm. So the truth might set us free. Yeah, I, think. I do think. But the, but the cost of that is huge. It's huge. Yeah. And therefore, I do think there needs to be ways in which to say um, why, if there is a space, I, in the lead up to that, to say, well, how can we provide support services for people who are damaged and impacted by what they hear on the radio and the TV around the dinner table in their workplace? How can we provide a place where we go, this is already causing damage? Even if the outcome is positive, damage is being caused all the time when people are being spoken about, not to. Thoroughly agree. Pedro Twama talking about um, some experiences learnt from the Irish um, um, referendum on marriage. And, well, we're about to face it here. Um, so, James, uh, there you go. Anyone would think we planned this program? Um, predetermined. Hello, World Wrestling Entertainment. I never said that. No, don't hit me, John Cena and um, Bray Wyatt. Anyway, and also, just as I was um, just noticed an article in Today's Age by Rodney Croom on marriage. Um, the headline, if you're searching for it in your search engines, is Let's Skip Plebiscite. Free vote can quickly resolve marriage equality debate. Um, it's listed on the smh.com.au Sydney Morning Herald site. All right. Looks like, unfortunate, um, that um, we have to have extra strength in the marriage debate. There we be. Only the strong. Midnight Oil 3CR, 855 AM digital, 3cr.org.au and on demand. Out of the pan with Sally and guests. 3CR, 855am, digital, 3cr.org.au. Out of the pan with Sally on, well, Sunday afternoon as we go to air for the first time. Um, but of course, you could be listening on demand or by the podcast, which will be up usually um, by 2pm, 2.30ish um, Sunday afternoon. You're listening today to a fabulous conversation at the Sacred Edge Festival by run by the Uniting Church in Queenscliff. Um, thanks to Kerry and Charles and all our hosts and of all genders down there. Uh, let's keep it rolling with the fabulous discussion featuring a range of LGBTIQ people um, talking stuff. I'm all for marriage equality, absolutely. But I think another thing that we need to do as a community is realise that this is, this is not the end of the um, so-called fight, that there are so many other issues for um, the LGBTI community that we need to be educating ourselves about and be prepared to advocate at every turn. Um, we gave the microphone to Tony. Tony would outline a long list. Um, Sally and Star Lady from the, the trans and gender diverse community. That um, I just I worry that um, especially speaking 
from someone who is the L in the LGBTI acronym that sometimes we, as a community, can stop short and go, oh, it's good, I'm sorted now, I've got a marriage. But there are so many other issues that we need to continue to fight for and talk about and advocate and educate ourselves about. Um, and it will make us all a better community. Um, it's not just about the LGBTI community as well, so yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Sure, Sally. Yeah. Sally, you're going to get a ghost. <laughs> 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 a, quick, a quick chip in that follows on from what Suzanne has said. A friend of mine, I'm also on the committee of an organisation called Bisexual Alliance Victoria, and one of my colleagues there, James, has a saying about LGBIT. He says, don't leave a bit, BIT, out. And often that happens. Um, trans is getting more visibility. Tony and others have done great work on intersex, but often bi isn't there. And bi is just as much people who are attracted over the course of their life will say to more than one gender, just as valid a sexual orientation as lesbian, gay and heterosexual doesn't get mentioned. So in a way, we're still fighting to get up to home base, so to speak, and yet we've got gay and lesbian going for gold standard, what might be perceived as gold standard in marriage. And it's worth noting that in Canada in 2003, when they got marriage, people did say, oh, it's over, and groups like trans and others were left behind. So, yeah, I really want to endorse Suzanne's comments about equity, and I'm specific in that word within LGBTI, that there's a whole range of issues. Can I just think you talking about marriage equality? Sorry, I'm stealing it. I want to thank you all for, for coming here and for being a part of this church and for being a part of this movement. It's really healing for our community to see you standing up for the values of diversity. really sad things that I see in our country at the moment is the Christian right is hijacking Christianity and it's parading itself out there as, as you know, being moral and fighting for justice and fighting for equity but it has some deep-seated values in hate and division and in separation. And so what we really need, you know, as a community, we need to see, you know, the Christian community really stepping up and getting organized. You know, I know we do. We need, we need to see you getting organized. We need to see you getting loud about it. You know, being putting you know, putting your presence and your voice in the media, developing your relationships with media organisations so that they are coming to see you and speak to you so we're hearing your voice as well. We need you to be forming into lobby groups because the ACL has offices in Canberra and are whispering into the ears of our politicians and we are seeing our rights stripped away and that is affecting the mental health and well-being of our young people not just for LGBTI people, because I mean, we also have to look within our own community. I mean, you can see here, we've got a very uh, Anglo panel. And you know, so within, looking at within our own community, we're also addressing, you know, uh, we're addressing equality in our community. 
How do we stand up for indigenous LGBTI people? How do we stand up for uh, refugees, you know, uh, LGBTI refugees? So we're looking at that internally as well. We're not just asking you to help us with the equity. We've got to find that within our, within our own communities as well. So yeah, um, I mean, it might be a journey to learn how to develop those skills to become, you know, advocates but we need to hear your voices in Australia because if we don't, you know, in that silence, some terrible things can happen in our country and are happening in our names. So we need to change that. Thank you. 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 and about the organising and how do we respond to what's being said. Um, one of the things that has been said is that um, people in Canberra know that the Australian Christian lobby, for example, um, don't speak for all Christians. Okay? Politicians are aware of that. Um, the reason why they're listening is because they know that the Australian Christian lobby puts a lot of effort into having their finger on the pulse. And so when they say things that are inflammatory, we can say, well, that's them and who are they? They're this kind of right-wing group. But what the politicians and others are saying is we listen to them because we know that mums and dads in the suburbs, etc., on some level, 
agree. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have the intention. It doesn't come from a dark place. But when they kind of go, you know, gay trans classrooms or bathrooms or whatever, people in the suburbs kind of go, oh, actually, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with that. So rather than thinking we have to be against, you know, um, a particular ACL group, I, need, I think we need to think about at the broader community and, and why this is tapping into and it's pushing on a button. Um, and we talked about the call to arms, and I absolutely agree with that. One of the, the most effective things that research has shown here and overseas is that, yes, we need the organised, we need people to get to be loud, but the most important thing that every single one of us in this room can do is to talk about this with the people around us in our everyday networks. So I can drive around the country in my openly gay truck and do everything that I do, but the most effective thing is going to be if all of you have those conversations rather than me, and if we can in some way inspire all of you with this call to arms to go out there and talk with the people around you, that's going to be um, probably the most effective thing to come from this. You know, okay, so help, help us with that. So I've got a family made up of people who think that they're pretty good, compassionate, decent people, but maybe they're in that category of people you're speaking of who, when inflammatory things are said in the public discourse, yes. think, oh, actually, I feel a bit uncomfortable. What do I go and say over family dinner that is <laughs> Yeah, because, yeah, you're right, you're right. And, and look, um, whilst there will be no simple cover-all answer for this, this is, this is what I talk to people about in workshops around the country, teachers and health professionals and all the rest of it is that it's about, um, it's about your particular approach. So you know your family, obviously, differently. So if I'm talking to a teacher about what they might say in the classroom, it's going to be different to what happens at the Christmas dinner. And that's, I know, very Anglo and white and all the rest of it. So um, based on that conversation. So um, keep that in mind. Um, what people have found, um, and again, this is, this is through lots and lots of conversations, is that often they say that the personal approach is the thing that works best for them. There are, there are like six or seven different strategies if you look at how to combat this stuff. But I talk about the personal approach and go, when you say that, that thing that's inflammatory, I have a problem with that for whatever reason, because of my ethics, because of my belief in human rights, or just because I love someone or I know someone who is. My best that, friend is gay. My best friend is gay. He gay. Is, he's gay. Uh, and gr maybe gray as well. And I guess on, on that point, let's not forget the um, older LGBTI yeah. people, because we've yeah. talked a lot about young people. But, but that personal approach, often, it's, it, again, it's not going to work in every single situation, but it is that thing about people saying, I have to get uncomfortable with the people around the dinner table, um, with the people in my Facebook Kind of network with the people who throw these sides because what what I, I, I did um, a session with LGBTI workers and allies and I said I talked about um, what they what they faced from their opponents and what they faced from the people around them in everyday life and what they what they said at the end of it was actually it's my my friends my colleagues my family members that's where all of this harm is coming from and we talked about triggers and traumas um, throughout the weekend. And a young person once described this to me as, um, you know, homophobia and transphobia is not one kind of averse action, it's the death of a thousand cuts. It's stuff that accumulates, and it's, it's these, these little traumas that accumulate over time until they hit these trigger points. And when we talk about the marriage quality debate or all these other things that are going on, we know that they're just these additional traumas that are occurring which are potentially going to trigger a whole bunch of stuff that we don't want, which is the reason why we're here today. But again, I think that if all of us can do that kind of call to arms and, and work with the people around us, that'll be the, the most stupendous thing to come from this session for me.
Got to leave it there, bang on halfway through the discussion on in early May at the um, Uniting Church Sacred Edge Festival um, down in Queenscliff. Have part two for you next week, which is where I have to get out of here and make way for the fab crew from Freedom of Species talking all things animale. Take it out today with, um, well, if we're talking church, um, the John Sherman track, Holy Mary. Um, which came, this one was off an album originally in the 80s, but this is from Portrait, the very best of John Schumann, and um, has some so many of great of his solo tracks after the Red Gum days. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.